Welcome to worship with Dawson Memorial Baptist Church. At Dawson, we seek to be found faithful as God's people as we become and help others become faithful servants of Jesus Christ. Now join us as we worship God through the teaching of His Word in today's message. Church, as we continue to worship, would you take your copy of God's Word, turn with me to the Gospel of John. John chapter 1 is going to be our text this morning, the Gospel of John, first chapter, first five verses we will start with and then we will continue in John. Next week we'll be in John chapter 3 and the week after that, John chapter 4. We have a three-week mini-series entitled Entrusted as we come back into this fall semester. We're entrusted with a holy responsibility and if you're a follower of Christ in this room, You've been the recipient of prayers. You've been the recipient of intentional actions and words that people have given to you that have pointed you to the sole source of salvation, which is our Savior and our Lord Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, I was eating lunch with somebody who had been visiting our church for a few weeks, and he asked me, David, how did you become the pastor at Dawson? Sort of instinctually, I said, well, when I was about five years old and he sort of gulped, he was like, I wasn't asking all of that. I, mean, don't, don't, I don't need to hold it, hear the whole story, but, but I, can't, I can't help but to tell the story. Because how I'm the pastor of this church is because of God's grace that captured my heart. And it is a story that goes back. It goes back centrally to my time as a middle schooler, seventh grader and eighth grader where we had a a middle school that was in walking distance to a church, much like the situation that we find ourselves with Homewood Middle School being in our backyard here behind Dawson. I had friends of mine who at the end of class on Wednesday would say to me, hey, David, you want to go to church with us? My answer to that was no. No, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to leave school at 3.30 to go to the church? They said, well, you can play basketball. And my answer was yes, yes, I'll go play basketball there. And so we'd play basketball. We would, you know, have just a group of friends that would be there. And over a period of time, I would be invited to other things at that church. I begin to realize that some of the things that they were talking about, like a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I I didn't understand what that meant. Someone asked me as a 13-year-old, are you a Christian? I remember vividly saying to them, yes, I'm a Christian. Because in my mind as a 13-year-old, being a Christian meant that you tried to do more good things than you tried to do bad things. You didn't say too many bad words and you tried to help people in their time of need. I knew I didn't do that perfectly, but my conception of what it meant to be a Christian was holy based upon my effort and my works. Well, I hung around that church long enough to have a youth minister who got to know me and I got to hear him talk about what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus, which, which wasn't about my works and me trying to do good enough. I had friends who there was something, I could not have voiced this as a 13 year old, but there was something peculiar about them. They had something that I did not have. They knew someone that I did not know. And the longer that I would attend this church, the more I would realize that there was something missing in my life. I had friends that invited me. I had adults that invested in me. 
I had a student pastor that opened up God's word and just week after week taught from God's word. Well, weeks turn into months where I'm just hanging out in this environment. I come back to my house one evening at 106 Elgin Place. I go back into my room and I, in this moment, cannot describe to you what I felt. But it was in this moment in my room, I realized that there was something missing in my life. If you would have asked me, I I probably would have voiced it that that I felt I had this void in my life that I was trying to fill with sports and I was trying to fill it with relationships and as much success as you can have from your peers and others. I wanted the applause. And that's what I was trying to fill that void with. And it was in that moment, that night, in the back of our house, in my room, that I realized that was not enough. Someone had given me a Bible from that church. I pulled off the shelf. And as I opened up that Bible, out fell this pamphlet. Many of you are old enough to know it was a, it was a gospel tract that someone had given me that was entitled Questions. Got questions? I had had all kinds of questions. I didn't have good answers to. So as I unfolded this, it folded out into a cross. And it told me that gospel track from the word of God, that what I was missing in my life, what I was searching for in my life, was a relationship with a personal savior, Jesus that I had a darkness that I could, I could really detect. I had sin that separated me from him, but there was the solution and the solution was a person and that person was Jesus. Now listen, I didn't know what RAs were. I didn't know what Bible drills was. I didn't know the difference between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I couldn't really tell you as a 13-year-old the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I didn't know all of these stories, but I knew that I had a problem and the problem would be solved by this person named Jesus. And that night, God saved my soul. That's why I stand before you as a pastor. Is the grace of God captured my heart as a teenager. And he used, he used someone in that church to hand me a Bible, an NIV life application Bible. He used someone in that church to hand me that little pamphlet. He used friends of mine, peers of mine that said, hey, David, what are you doing at the end of school? He used a youth ministry and a youth minister that learned my name. He used a church that said, hey, what would it look like if we invested our resources and built a gym for all of these kids around to be able to come to? He used all of those people who were entrusted with this holy responsibility to point kids like myself to Jesus as my Savior. And if you are a follower of Christ here today, if you are a Christian, you have a long line of believers who are entrusted with that same responsibility. And for some of you, these faces flood your memory right now and they're faces of a mom and a dad who imperfectly but consistently over time prayed for you and loved you and pointed you to Jesus. They, they drug you to church and you heard the gospel. There are others of you that the the names and faces that are flooding your your memory right now are faithful Sunday school teachers through the decades of your life. 
that just pointed you to Jesus. For some of you, it's a college roommate. For some of you, it's a coworker. For some of you, it's this long line of friends who just live distinctively, live differently. And then over time, you realize watching them that what was different about them was a relationship that they had with Jesus. But what all of these people have in common with the thousands of them that we could name here with the hundreds of us that are in this sanctuary who are followers of Christ, they understood that they were entrusted with a responsibility. They were entrusted with a holy responsibility through their actions and through their words to point you and to point me to Jesus. We're here because of others. We're here because of the grace of God that captured our heart, but he used ordinary women and ordinary men to point us to an extraordinary savior. This is your story. This is your song. This is why we get to praise Jesus all day long. It's a story that we're introduced to in John chapter one. It's a surprising place to be introduced to this holy responsibility because the first five verses of John chapter one start not with a human representative, but they start with the divine logos, the divine word. Here we have the bio, the bio, the Wikipedia entry source material for who Jesus was and who Jesus is and who Jesus always will be. Hear the word of the Lord in John chapter one. In the beginning was the word. And the word church was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. I told you this is a brief bio, five verses to give us five distinctives of who Jesus was, who Jesus is, who Jesus always will be. You follow me, verse one, verse two, verse three, verse four, verse five. It gives us these characteristics one after the other here. Important truths that we know about our savior are right here embedded in this passage. Number one, verse one, in the beginning was the word. The word is describing Jesus. This is a reminder to us that Jesus is eternal. Verse two, he was in the beginning with God. Verse two reminds us that Jesus is divine. Verse three, all things were made through him. It reminds us that Jesus is a co-creator with the Father and the Spirit. Verse four and verse five, two descriptions here. In him is life, in Jesus is life, in Jesus is light. Life and light. Jesus is a source. He is the source of abundant life right now. And he's also the source, the only source of eternal life forever. In him is life now, life eternally. But in him is also the light, the light that penetrates the darkness of our sin-filled heart. He, he is not only the path to salvation, he is the way of salvation. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is everything that we need for all that life would throw our way. You know that? Christian, that Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus. Don't, don't miss this. It's not a set of rules for you to follow to, that maybe at the end of your life, you've done a little bit more good than you've done bad. Jesus is the protagonist of this story. He's the main character. 
And not only is he the main character of the story that's always been, he has entered into your human story. He's entered into our history here. The very pages of human history, he has walked in the midst of for 33 years so that, so that you might have life and that you might have the light of the gospel shine in you. This is the, this is the main reason that we do anything and everything we do as a church. The, the great music that we have, the great programs that we have, the great activities that we have as a church ultimately are to make much of Jesus. And when we walk into the sanctuary, we look up to be found faithful as God's people. And the faithfulness that he calls you and me, calls us too, is to become and help others become faithful followers of Christ. He is the main point. And, and it, is, it is so tempting to miss this. They're so tempting in, in our world where we're flooded with political challenges and we're flooded with educational challenges and health challenges. We're flooded with so much division here that we might begin to, to waver on what actually is the greatest need for every human heart. I mean, if the, if the greatest need was more information than God surely would have sent us an educator, but he didn't. If the greatest need of the human heart was, was more technological innovation, certainly God would have sent us the great inventor. If your greatest need and my greatest need was just more education, more information, he would have sent us the great teacher. If our greatest need was better health on this earth, God surely would have sent us a doctor. But, but listen, our greatest need, our greatest need is how can we as sinful humans who rebel from a holy God, how can we be made right with this God? Our greatest need is what is going to wash away our sin? And thankfully we can see nothing but the blood of Jesus. Your greatest problem is a sin problem. That's why God sent the solution, who is Jesus, the Savior. That's why verse 6 is so surprising. I mean, you're walking through chapter 1 of John's gospel. We got the spotlight right on Jesus. We're, we're glorifying in who he is, his excellencies, his eternality here, his co-creation with the Spirit and the Father. He's the life, he's the light. And then all of a sudden, there is a public service announcement that interrupts this regularly scheduled broadcast of John chapter one, where we're looking at Jesus, looking at Jesus, looking at Jesus. And then John the Baptist waves his hand, says, hello. Verse six, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, lest we be confused but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. I told you, this, this is a surprise. And actually, if you look at verse 5, and then you connect it to verse 9, there's this seamless connection about Jesus as the life and the light between verse 5 and verse 9. So verse 6 and verse 7, verse 8 seem to be intrusion to the story that John is saying here. But it is, it is a Holy Spirit-inspired intrusion to the flow. 
I mean, in verse 5, we read, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. Wow, does it segue very well to verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Between these two twin statements of Jesus as the light, we have the importance of you and me as witnesses. We have the importance of an ordinary man who shows up on the scene. Don't miss this. Verse 6 reads, John was a man sent from God. Now, everything about that verse is important, as every biblical passage is. But notice the contrast. We're talking about the divine, co-equal, the the very one, the son, who has always been with the father. So we're exalting in him. And so we've moved from the heights of, of eternality past to an earthly person that's walking around and his name is John and he he was just an ordinary man. But he was entrusted with a holy responsibility. And I hope you know this here, that, that John has one focus in his ministry and that is to say, look to him, look to him, look to him, look to him and look to him. I'm not the light, he's the light. I'm not the source of life, he's the source of life. Look to him. And I hope you know this morning that the way that Jesus, his name is spread, his glory is declared on this earth is not by you going out in the country road and looking up on a cloudless night and trying to figure out the star formations to be able to to make out this message from God written in the stars of heaven. That's not how his name is spread. It's not you turning on uh, James Spann on a Monday afternoon and hearing him talk about meteorological formations that are the handwriting of God in the clouds. That's not how his name is spread. His name is not spread by, by a light being planted in every human heart. If we would just look close enough inside of ourselves, we could realize our need for a savior. That's not how he said. He's not spread by this angelic ambassadors who show up on the earth as God's advertising team to go around from country to country, spreading the news. He could have done all of those things. He is the eternal God whose ways are matchless and marvelous, but he chooses not to do those things. You know what he chooses as plan A? to spread the name and the fame of Jesus, he uses a guy by the name of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is the leadoff hitter in a lineup that has been made every day since of ordinary women and ordinary men through their actions and through their words that point away from themselves to Jesus. You are plan A. You are the advertising campaign. It's ordinary friends pointing their friend to Jesus. It is ordinary co-workers pointing their co-workers to Jesus. It is an ordinary mom and dad who pray for their sons and daughters to come to faith in Christ, who long to see them. This is the plan A. And we can see, we can see in your testimony and my testimony that, that all of our testimonies have one thing in common and that one thing in common are a great cloud of witnesses who loved us and they cared for us and they loved us so much that they talked to us about the most important thing in the world and that's a relationship with Jesus. This is is how his fame is spread. 
It's through your words and my words. It's through our actions, ordinary men and women. You know why you're a follower of Christ? Because someone somewhere at some time told you about Jesus. Don't miss this. Do you know why you're a follower of Christ? Of course, the grace of God has captured you in the midst of your sin and rebellion. God has captured you by his grace and you through the work of the Holy Spirit placed your faith in him. But do you know how the spirit drew you to him? He used someone at some time, somewhere, probably a lot of someones, right? I mean, your testimony is probably very similar to mine. You can look back and it's not just one Sunday school teacher. Maybe it's a Sunday school teacher along with a coach. Maybe it's a coach and a teacher. Maybe it's a mom and a dad. Maybe it's grandparents. And you've got a lot of someones. That's a lot, how a lot of our testimonies are. Someone, somewhere, sometime loved you enough, like John the Baptist, to say, look that way. Look that way. Look to him, he is the light. Look to him, he is the source of abundant life now and eternal life forever. This is the importance of our witness, but I also want you to see the content of our witness. Verse seven, John chapter one, John came as a witness. Do you see what the word tells us here? He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. It's the analogy of the moon to the sun. The illumination of the moon is only the reflection of the light of the sun upon it. Our witness is the reflection of the, the light of the sun, S-O-N, the son of God that shines upon us. And this little light of yours and mine that we let shine is ultimately the light of Jesus that is shining in us and shining through us. Not so people could look at us and say, wow, that's a great person. Not so people would look at us and say, man, I want to be that person. It's so that they can look at us and see that there is something distinct about our lives. There is something different about the way we walk and it is something different about the way we talk. And that difference is a relationship with a God who saves. We're not the story. My testimony is not the story. My testimony will not save a single soul. Only the spirit of God can draw someone to salvation. Your testimony is not the story. We are ambassadors with a script that has been written for us. It's one of the reasons after Brad gave the welcome today that periodically we as a church gather together to recite the Apostles' Creed. It is a reminder to us that we have a fixed focus. that our focus is a person, that there is a content to the, our conversion, that there is a substance to our story and that substance has a name and that name is Jesus. Did you notice that on the slides, two of those slides were nothing more than Jesus. I mean, it's, hey, we wanna tell you what we believe. So let's talk about who Jesus was. He was God's only son. He's our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He's born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead and buried. He descended to the dead, but on the third day, he rose to life. He ascended to heaven. He's seated at the right hand throne of the Father and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Christianity has a content. 
Our stories have a substance and our stories substance is our savior, Jesus. This is the main theme of what we are about as Christians. God's not looking for us to be real creative with the story and the script to introduce our, our insights and to introduce, it, it is to, to tell the old, old story. It is to focus on the gospel. The first words that are on the lips of John the Baptist are not John the Baptist saying, hey, I've got a lot of ideas about how we can clean up the, the government of the Roman world 2,000 years ago. The first words on the lips of John the Baptist are not his educational reforms or ideological opinions. Or they're not his political positions. All of those things were floating around and they were no doubt alive and well and being spread 2,000 years ago. John the Baptist, he is one who has a script. And John chapter 1, verse 29 reads, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So often we, we want to add to the gospel. You, you will hear this. The gospel is, the gospel is, the gospel is, the gospel is racial reconciliation. The gospel is social justice. The gospel is uh, uh, political stability. The God, and we, we, we begin to add these things to the gospel. But a gospel that is added to is a gospel that is subtracted from. Never forget this. There is a content to the gospel and never forget that when we lose our focus on the centrality of a savior who came to live a perfect life and die a sacrificial death to forgive us of our sins, that this is the gospel. The gospel is not what we do. It is not our agenda. It is the agenda of a holy God in sending his perfect son to live a life for us and to die a substitutionary death for us. And if we as a church or we as Christians, we fall prey to sort of a, a gospel lack of focus, we will fall prey to what has occurred over 2,000 years of church history. You can read this. We are only but decades away. Every family, every Christian family is only decades away from the gospel being lost in that family. Every church is only but decades away from the gospel being lost in the church, for the, for the first generation that believes the gospel, and then the second generation that assumes the gospel, and then the third generation that doubts the gospel, and then the fourth generation denies the gospel, and this can happen in any church. This can happen in any denomination. This can happen in any family. Don't forget, we have a task, a task that is important. We are called to be witnesses we're called to live lives of distinction, lives of holiness, to point people to the love of God that has captured our hearts. Don't forget that we have a, a message to proclaim, and that message is so summed up in, in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he so loved you. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to everlasting life. This is why he sent his son. How did you become a follower of Christ? That's my question to you. Who are the people in your life that pointed you to Jesus? I just want you to see their faces. I want them to flood your memory now. I want you to hold on to just how seriously they took the responsibility that was entrusted to them 
to do what an ordinary man 2,000 years ago by the name of John the Baptist did when he pointed others away from himself and to Jesus. That holy responsibility was entrusted to someone in your life, someone somewhere at some time pointed you to Jesus. And he's calling you to point someone at this time in the everywheres of your life to Jesus. I want us to hear some stories I want us to hear some testimonies from the pew of how we come to faith in Christ. How some of our own church members have gone this journey of, of pointing, being pointed to, to Jesus. And today we get the wonderful privilege to hear Mary Sunday's story of how ordinary people were used by God to point her to an extraordinary Savior. Hear her story this morning. I had a coworker that befriended me just an ordinary person, but that ultimately changed my life. I didn't grow up going to church. We were a family that maybe we went a couple times a year. And so not having any sort of faith in my life definitely led me to be very selfish and self-centered. What I said all the time is do whatever makes you happy. You know, do what makes you feel good. It's all about whatever's best for you. Partying a lot, um, just indulging in everything that the world has to offer, which led to me getting in a pretty dark place. I had just finished college and I moved to Birmingham for my job. I met someone at work who became a really good friend. We talked a lot and he got the courage to share his faith with me um, one day and um, really share with me what that did in his life and how it has changed him. And it made me think, well, if this is how it really can be, then maybe I want that. Everything changed. All of a sudden, it felt like God just fell on my heart and he was inside of me. And he was saying like, I'm, I'm here, I'm real, I'm with you. I heard your prayer and I had this urge to tell other people what happened to me. It's been amazing to see like the family members come to faith and to see that change within our family and people I love the most. And you know, I've, I've been able to share my faith with some of my friends. I'm very grateful that he shared his faith with me. One small act of obedience and then so many life changes and blessings after that. It doesn't mean life is easy or perfect. It just means you have something higher to look up to than yourself or this world. I can go to the Lord with any question, any problem, any situation and have peace. It was such a chain effect of one person stepping out in faith to so many wonderful things happening after that. A chain effect, one person pointing Mary to Jesus. We're here in the pews as followers of Christ because someone somewhere at some time had the courage to tell us the most important thing that we could ever hear God loves you and he loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus for you. Someone told you that somewhere at some time and he has entrusted to us a holy responsibility to be ambassadors of this good news, to be witnesses for him. Over the next two weeks, we're gonna talk about some of the practicalities of how we can grow in our faith 
and how we can grow in being ambassadors and witnesses for him. But today I just want to leave you with one challenge, and that's a challenge to maybe pray for these opportunities. I know so many of you do, and I know that this is a part of so many of your own journeys of faith. Every morning or every evening, maybe you pray something like this, but maybe you're here today and you say, you know, David, I don't even know exactly where I would start with this responsibility that is so far beyond me. And you're exactly right. It is beyond you. It's beyond me. It's beyond all of us. And so maybe you would take up the challenge to pray a simple prayer. Maybe this week, every week, you would make a, a, a commitment to pray a prayer that was given to me years ago that, that is a prayer that, that has been used by God to give me opportunities at times, not by my going and searching, but by him drawing me to that place to be able to be a witness for him. And it was a simple prayer like this. God, today, would you give me the opportunity to point somewhere, point someone somewhere at some time to you? Would you give me the opportunity today? Would you give me the wisdom to see that opportunity and the courage to act upon it? Would you give me today the opportunity, the wisdom to see it, and the courage to act upon it in our actions, in our words? If you're a follower of Christ, someone, somewhere at some time prayed that for you. They probably didn't use those words but they are praying for you. Thank you for joining us today. To learn more about our family of faith or to learn how to become a follower of Jesus, please visit DawsonChurch.org. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.